0: Hi, listeners, I'm Irene Barton, Executive Director of the Cobb Collaborative, and I welcome you to Mind Your Mind Speaks. This is a podcast series that brings together subject matter experts and community leaders to help raise awareness, share resources, and inspire action through recorded conversations about mental health and well-being topics. Today, we are delighted to welcome Jennifer Anderson-Smith to the program. Jennifer is a motivational speaker of rare power and an inspiring life coach. She's also the author of a compelling memoir entitled, So That for Relationships. The book tells her story of childhood trauma, teen motherhood, and a loveless marriage in order to inspire other women to overcome hurdles just as she has. Born into a Catholic family in rural Illinois, Jennifer grew up on a farm with many siblings. Rooted in her faith from a young age, she was a strong believer in saving herself for her husband. But one day, this deep-seated value was ripped away from her by a man who sexually abused her as a child. This traumatizing event had ramifications throughout her life. As a teenager, Jennifer believed that since she had been deprived of her virginity, she had no impetus to save herself for marriage, which led to her teenage pregnancy. The following year, she became pregnant again with her second child. And the year after that, she made the choice to marry the father of her children, even though she didn't love him, marking the beginning of a difficult 23-year marriage marked by emotional abuse. Now divorced and remarried to a wonderful man, Jennifer was finally able to regain control of her life. After overcoming her trauma, she was able to manifest joy, love, and abundance in spite of her struggles with depression. Now, she has become a life coach to help other women through their life challenges and has started a community of women who support each other and themselves. Now living in Georgia, Jennifer and her husband, Craig, have a blended family of nine children and 15 grandchildren who Jennifer calls her greatest legacy. Jennifer. Welcome to the program. And wow, that, um, that uh, I, it's, it's hard to find the words to say after reading and learning a little bit more about your biography um, and um, all of that. So again, thank you for being so transparent um, and open about what you have endured so that others will hopefully not encounter a similar experience or if they have, be able to recover from it so welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Jennifer, as some of our listeners know, we have a particular focus on raising awareness around trauma and specifically adverse childhood experiences. As we know, there is a direct correlation between trauma and mental health conditions. So I want to ask you, did you know that you were experiencing trauma as you were living through it?
1: I did not have that word for it. No, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I was eight, nine years old at the time and really my childhood was very idyllic Um, and I, I've always maintained that, that, you know, grew up on a farm in rural Illinois with all the animals and flowers everywhere and a huge garden and, you know, loving parents, um, loving siblings. So I've never thought my childhood was anything less than idyllic um, the big black spot in all of that, of course, is when I was preyed upon by a neighbor boy. And, um, I remember thinking this isn't right, Mm -hmm. but of course he had groomed me. And of course he had, um, threatened me that if I said anything to anyone, he would also do this to my sister. And since I knew it wasn't right, I knew I didn't want it to happen to her. Mm -hmm. Um, Since growing up, I found out that he was also doing it to her at the same time. Um, And part of the reason that I wrote the book and share my story is because as much as we would love to prevent all of these types of terrible experiences from happening to anyone, that's just not realistic in this world unfortunately, as long as right. there is a seed of evil in the world, something like this is going to happen. And when I look at the difference that my life has taken the journey of comparing it to my sister and comparing it to other, um, survivors of this type of experience, um, I'm really blessed quite honestly. Um, Yes, it led me to make some decisions that I probably would have made differently. Uh, but I also don't know that I would have made them differently. I, I, I would guess that I would, but I don't know that. Um, and quite honestly, the people in my life, which isn't that the most important thing of every single day is the people we interact with. Yes. Um, the people in my life are awesome. So I wouldn't turn any of that around and change any
0: of that. So, so um, How how is your sister? If 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 you don't mind me asking. And if that's too personal, that's okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's really her story to tell. Okay. So I I really, you know, she and I reacted differently um, to it. And we've um gone through a journey of processing that differently. And I um I think it's really her story to tell that. Thank you. Sure. Uh,
0: Um, I honor that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, um, and we we hope that all good things come to her, just as they have um, apparently um, come to you. So, yes, um, you know we talk about adverse childhood experiences, and you definitely didn't have that word, um, a, as you said, that or trauma as you're going through this. But now that we can characterize it, how can you talk a little bit, Jennifer, about how um, those aces? affected your decision-making? You reference that you, you might've made the same decisions had that not occurred, but you might not have, but, um, talk about your decision-making process as you grew to adulthood. Um, and particularly for those folks who may have experienced ACEs, but haven't really acknowledged it or healed from them.
1: That's a really great question. So, um, In regards to how I've made decisions and how I've gone forward, um, you know, there was a long, long period of my life um, because this occurred um, more than 30 years ago and um, probably more than 40 years ago now that I do the math. Um, (laughs) But there was a long period of my life where I felt shame for this, for this entire incident. And through my process of healing, which for me personally had a lot to do with words. Um, You know, typically if someone has gone through this, they're going to immediately think I need counseling um, or someone in their life is going to recommend that. And I absolutely agree with that counseling, finding the right counselor after five or six tries So 10 to 20 years of different counselors to find them. So if you don't think you're getting anywhere with the one you have, find another one, don't give Mm up, Mm -hmm. find the right one, just keep looking. But, um, you know, for me, it was a lot about deciding to listen to the values that were instilled to me as a child and, So those values have to do with that. God believes I'm worthy of love and God is man, man is God, right? So Mm -hmm. they're all three in one. And so then if God believes I'm worthy of love, then who else, who are, who is anyone, including myself to say, I am not. So that was a, a big epiphany revelation, if you will, Mm -hmm. in my journey of healing was to really understand that, you know, I am worthy of love. This was something that happened to me. I was a victim. I was preyed upon and I am a survivor and I am a thriver now. And that a large part of that is because I have realized that there is no room for me to feel shame in this healing process. I did nothing to warrant this. And so if the people listening to this hear nothing else from me, I want them to know that there is no shame in your past, no matter what's in your past. Because the person you are today and the person you can become in the future, and you get to make that choice, all encompasses everything you've experienced in the past. So how can that all be bad? It can't. It's I... made me into an amazingly strong woman once I really allowed myself to believe that I was worthy. And that was a big reason why I wanted to share my story is because I I see so many women out there, specifically women, expe- especially women who just don't think they're worthy that they're, they just don't think they're valuable. And every single person is worthy and valuable. You're worthy of love. You're worthy of care. You're worthy of good things. And you just have to decide to believe that you can even on that first day where you decide to believe that you probably 99% don't believe it. And 1% (laughs) It's just that you've decided to believe it. Believe it. Oh, yeah. But you'll get there if you keep deciding every day, I'm gonna believe that I am worthy, and you just do that by with words. I like my like I said I use counseling a lot, a lot of talk mm-hmm. therapy, um, and then I also do a lot of writing. Um, it's called expressive writing. And it's, um, kind of stream of consciousness. You sit down and you just write whatever your thoughts are. I did it this morning. I try to do it as as many mornings as I can. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you sit there and you go, I don't have anything to say. Then you write, I don't have anything to say (laughs) because eventually your brain gets bored with that. And it's going Uh to tell you what's actually going on down deeper inside. Ah, okay. So for me, words have been hugely instrumental.
0: Absolutely. both the, in the oral um, tradition, as well as the written word. So, wow. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for sharing so much. So you, um, was there a time, Jennifer, when you said um, no more to what you were experiencing, or is that even a fair way to describe your thought process? Um, And I guess let's leap ahead to your your first marriage, a troubled marriage, Um, when was it a a journey to get to the, this is not going to work, or did you wake up one morning and say, no, no, no more to this?
1: It was a combination of those two things, um, quite honestly. So I think that I had that revelation, but didn't have it, uh, wouldn't acknowledge it within myself. Mm -hmm. many, many years before I actually acknowledged the revelation of this is just never going to work. We're never going to be able to make each other happy. And that's exactly how I approached the subject with him was, Mm -hmm. look, we're, you know, we've been trying this for over 20 years and we're just never going to make each other happy. We have the same arguments round and round and round. So I think it's time for us to just try something different. And Um, but to get to that point, it was probably a 10 year journey of self-discovery, a lot of Bible study, a lot of the therapy that I've talked about.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: I have an incredible support system with my sisters and uh, a couple of really great best friends. So I was able to really do a lot of sharing in that regard. Um, but I also have journal upon journal upon journal, And when I was writing the book, um, and I went back and I was looking through these journals, I realized, and that's when I realized Irene, that I actually for about 10 years was contemplating this, um, to, to leave because I looked at some of the dates on those journal entries of things where, I just don't see how this is ever going to change. Or um, I'm very much a list girl. So I Mm -hmm. would go through and make myself a household budget based on my current income. And, you know, I have four children. So based on, you know, whether or not I thought I'd get child support, whether or not um, I would keep you know, who would live with me and who was adult enough that they could live on their own. And, you know, trying to figure that all out. I mean, I did that for 10 years before I finally showed up in my therapist's office one day, um, on a June day. And I said, uh, this isn't going to work. I'm done. I'm completely done. And so that's why I say it was like a combination, right? Okay. Um, And then when I said that to her, I said, I'm done, but I need six months to put my life together. And my son graduates from high school, six months from there, the youngest one. So I'm going to plan to leave in a year. And she looked at me and she said, that's the most toxic thing you can do. Once you've decided you're done, you need to go. And so for me, that was the best choice. So two days later, I, I went wow. and met him and the stories in the book about how I approached that with him and the conversation
0: we had and yeah, how it went down from there. Wow. So when did you publish your book, Jennifer? When did that come out?
1: So the original publication was done in 2019. Okay. Um, I'm actually, as we're recording this, <laughs> um finishing the editing of a new publication of it. Okay. And the reason I did that is twofold. First of all, um, all artists, once they see their finished product, mm, I would say all artists anyway, um, look at that and go, mm, I could have done this, done I could have done yeah. that. And of course I had those moments. Um, but also I found a wonderful editor who loved the book, but felt like there was more that I could give. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so we went through it together and we reformatted the book. It's very different. We've added about 10,000 words to what I originally published and that should be out by the time this podcast actually airs. So, okay,
0: great. Well, we will certainly uh, let our listeners know about that opportunity to learn more about your journey and, and learn from it. And and who knows who you are impacting through that, the power of words, as you say. So Jennifer, you're, as I was reading your biography, um, you know, it ends on such a hopeful note. First of all, you're living in Georgia, which, um, you know, hopefully a little more pleasant uh, temperatures. Although we, as we record this, we have just had our second winter um, and, uh, and, and the fake spring. So you've got all that. (laughs) Right. um, But you found love again. How, how were you able to trust your own heart and your own mind and someone else? Was that difficult for you?
1: it was exceptionally difficult. Um, and there's a lot more detail in the book about the process that I went through. Um, but you know, I got married very, very young. So my first child was born when I was 17. My second child when I was 18 and I got married at 19. And as Mm -hmm. you said, in the bio, I knew at the time I married him that I didn't love him enough to marry him but I also had been raised with a certain set of values. I had already screwed that up by having two children out of wedlock. So this was a way to quote fix that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but when it came to, you know, after the divorce, the separation and all of that um, one of the things I was excited about was trying dating. Cause I'd really never done that. The, the, sure, the man yeah. I married, we were high school sweethearts. We started dating when I was 15 So, um, don't tell my mom, I said that, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, so yeah, there was a whole new experience of dating and exploring, um, different kinds of people, different kinds of relationships, um, everything from the hookup to, you know, an engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, and I went through, I think every single one of those phases Uh, very quickly (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um, in about a two year span. And what happened at that point was I realized I was not being true to myself. I had built myself up and become the strong person to be true to myself and require this divorce. And then I let all that go to be footloose and fancy free. And I found that I was morphing into whatever the man at my side at that moment thought that I would be or Hmm. expected from me. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's the pattern that I had in my marriage. What am I doing? I have to stop doing that. I'm never going to be truly happy with myself if I'm doing that. And you cannot be happy with another person unless you truly are happy within yourself. So true. Yes. So, one of the things that I learned is, and this is um, in the book, there is a story about a man that I dated for a while and then we stopped dating, then we went back together dating again. It was very toxic. I didn't realize it at the time. But from that relationship, and that's the thing about this book, right? all these different relationships, there's usually at least one little nugget in there that you can take and move forward and share with someone else and make it a positive, that silver lining. Right. Mm -hmm. The one thing he taught me that sticks with me more than anything else is you have to be able to sit in silence by yourself for an extended period of time. And by extended, I mean, 15 to 30 minutes because most of us can't do that. And I find myself when I am in a really wound position where I'm confused and I'm conflicted, that's really what I need to do more than anything is just sit still, be silent and just be there mm-hmm. and do nothing more than that. Um, because if you can't do that, it speaks a lot about how much you do or don't like yourself. At least that's how I learned it from him. And I do think that that is a really valuable lesson. And so once I did that, I realized my relationship with him was not good. Um, I ended up on a suicide um, intake for a mental hospital because of the fallout from that relationship. Um, And when I got out of the hospital, I said, no more. I'm not dating anyone. I told myself a year, give Mm -hmm. yourself one year, don't date anyone. And then about nine months later, after really focusing just on me and what do I like going to movies by myself, going to (laughs) restaurants by myself, doing Mm -hmm. whatever I wanted to do, I would get up and go to the grocery store at 11 o'clock at night because I wanted a particular treat Mm -hmm. and I could, no one was there to tell me you can't do that. So I did. Mm -hmm. And that was so empowering and it made me become who I am today. And the strong woman that can stand on her own two feet, but can also understand when it is time to give in a little bit. But still keep your integrity when you have to do that. Because we all know marriage is not about one person and their needs all the time, it's a give and take. And so, to be happily married, you do have to have some give and take. And so, of course, there is compromise to a certain degree. But my husband now um, does not require compromise beyond what I'm comfortable giving. And I would say that, you know, I knew that I would marry again, but. I don't think a woman needs a man to be completed. So my sister, after her divorce, she's never remarried and she Mm -hmm. has no desire to remarry. She's Mm -hmm. done some dating here and there, but that's just not for her, you know? So I do want to make sure to get that message across that, you know, it's not all about the guy, ladies. It's (laughs) about you. You have to be happy in who you are first. And then once I knew it was like, you know, I just kind of woke up one day and went, I haven't had a bad day. This is awesome. I am, I am who I am and I love it. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's when I went and, um, started the online dating thing again. Uh, I, and I met my husband, so Ah. yeah, (laughs) pretty great.
0: (laughs) On behalf of all of our listeners and all of your readers, I wish you years and years of happiness, um, with, um, Craig, uh, in this marriage. So uh, Jennifer, as uh, you I'm sure know, and many of our listeners know, April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. What would you like to challenge people to do to recognize this month or, or honor this effort? Any thoughts around that?
1: Oh, so many. Um, but I'll, I'll stay focused. Um,
0: <laughs> for me,
1: it's about boundaries. Um, it's, you know, that was the thing in that nine month period where I really got into that self-discovery. It was, I read a book called boundaries. It was a wonderful book. I would strongly recommend it to anyone who is thinking maybe I'm not good at boundaries. It's wonderful. Uh, and there's a lot of reiterations of that book, um, that also go into more detail specifically as to where you are in life. So, um, but, um, for me, it's about boundaries and it's about respecting my own boundaries, just as much as respecting other people's boundaries. And I would say the way that I experience that and express that the most is with my grandchildren. Because let's think about what do we do to children? We tell them, oh, you have to give Uncle Frank a hug. He's your uncle, he loves you. What if Uncle Frank is in the back room? And Mm -hmm. something happened there that when you were outside on the trampoline with the other one, you didn't know that happened. And Mm -hmm. now you're telling your child that this is an okay person. He's a safe person. So, and I probably am a little more paranoid about that than the average grandma, which is fair. Um, but I think it's very important that we teach children that they have control over their own bodies and their own space and their own boundaries. And if they don't want to hug you, if they don't want to kiss you,
0: don't take it personal. You're the Mm -hmm. adult in the room. It's not about you. (laughs) It's about them and what they're comfortable in doing or sharing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I will tell you, um, as you read, I have 15 grandchildren um, and sometimes every single one of them wants to give me a kiss and a hug.
0: Mm -hmm. And then other
1: times, nope. And it's not because they're being naughty and -hmm. it's not because they're in a funk. Um, They just, no, I'm good. I don't need one. Mm -hmm. That's great love you. And off I go. Right. So I don't, I don't push at all. And I think that that as parents is probably the strongest thing we can do is give our children that ability to say no to other people invading their space. So,
0: ah, yeah, powerful, powerful words. I'm thinking back now on the, uh, nearly 22 years and 19 years <laughs> with my two and, um, oh my goodness, I'm going to, Ask for forgiveness if I push them into something because that is, um, those are powerful words. Yeah. To, uh, well,
1: you. Let me say this, Irene I did not have that strength or intellect when I was raising my own kids. So I did the same thing to my kids that we've all done which is, you know, you have to hug everyone before we leave. Did you hug everyone and you list them all out and make sure and you look at the people and make sure yeah, they hug me. Yeah, they hug. Yeah. I did that with my kids too and and I realized that was just not a good choice. But you know, isn't that part of parenting is, you know, sometimes you make mistakes and sometimes they're big mistakes, sometimes they're little mistakes. So They all come out in the wash.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. um, I, I might have said it on this podcast before. Um, I know I have said it a couple of times in trainings. Uh, It's so true. We got more instructions when we adopted our rescue dog than when we left the hospital with either child. So it's (laughs) like a thousand
1: percent true.
0: Yes. Yes. And people followed up like to make sure that we got her neutered and that we put a fence in our backyard. And that you really had a
1: fence. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, let's just say nobody followed up that closely you know, with the children, I mean, eventually it would have happened. Sure. But, um, so that's my kind of tongue in cheek, um, but it doesn't happen, Irene,
1: but it doesn't happen. And that's the thing is, you know, these children, some children are going home to places that don't, and it's not necessarily the parent's fault in all situations. Of course, Mm -hmm. Uh, in my situation, my parents weren't at fault for what happened to me. Um, but sometimes there's not enough food in the house and, and it could be any number of things
0: that right, cause that,
1: right. you yes. know? Um, And so I do think, you know, we, we joke about it because, you know, a dog compared to human life, but that's kind of sure. how upside down our society is right now. And it wouldn't be a bad idea to, to, you know, look at some ways to make that an improvement.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Another thing that we can do for child abuse prevention month, maybe, uh, you know, Check on all the children uh, in our neighborhood, in, in our corner of the world, and check on their caregivers, right? Make sure. Absolutely. So, Make sure yeah. they're safe. Yep. So, Jennifer, we could talk for just so <laughs> much longer. I'm, I'm just so enjoying this. But um, let me ask you is there, uh, in the time that we have left, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have?
1: Hmm. I feel like I'm in, in, a job interview now and I feel like, man, I should have yeah. had an answer ready for should've that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, honestly, I don't think so. Irene, I, I think that okay. the most important parts we've talked about, and that is, you know, the, that women needs to, to value themselves. All people need to value themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to set those boundaries and respect themselves enough to keep those boundaries with themselves and to demand them from other people. Um, and, you know, I just have always believed, you know, the, the book is based on a quote from the Bible. It's a Corinthians verse. And what it says is to paraphrase that God gives us comfort and mercy in our time of need so that we can share that with others in their time of need. Mm. And that is what this book truly is about. That's the reason I wrote it. And it's the reason I published it, you know, my mission behind it was if I can help one person have a better life by sharing my story, then my work here is done. And I got response from one of my beta readers who said, oh my goodness, you've changed my life. I look at things completely differently Mm
0: -hmm. and I went,
1: okay, so I don't even really have to publish it. And then God tapped me on the shoulder and said, no, Jen, publish it. Yes, you do. (laughs)
0: So but that's, you're, yeah, you're using your path to healing to help other people along their healing journey, or maybe yes. recognize that they need to take the first steps on that journey.
1: Absolutely. And then, yeah. you know, I'm here to help you with that step. So part of the work that I do is as a mentor, um, which is another word for coach, but I like mentor mm-hmm. better because I feel like that is more walking alongside you as mm-hmm. opposed to just telling you what to do. What to do, um, right. And I am not a therapist. I make that very clear. I don't do therapy, but what I do is I walk alongside from wherever you are today and where you want to go moving forward. And I help you figure out the ways to get there. And I use, of course, my own example of what I've went through and the journey that I had in order to, um, kind of, um, put the structure around that. But Words aren't for everyone, you know. Um, I think I do think words are super powerful, but some people would think about that expressive writing and just have shivers and think about English in freshman college and just be like, oh my goodness, don't make me write a word. Yeah,
0: it would my husband being one of those.
1: Yes, my own (laughs) husband being one of them. Um and so that that I would say, you know, that um if you don't work with me or if you Feel like you don't need therapy, find someone, especially if you don't have a good support system, um, find someone who can be your support, even if you have to pay them to do it, mm-hmm. uh, because having that support is very, very important when you're going through these very difficult times, they're the people who are going to make sure you get out of bed in the morning when you need to, and make sure that you have a little bit of breakfast and keep moving forward. So,
0: yeah. We, we all need people like that in our lives, for sure. Absolutely, so, yeah. And as a reminder, the book is entitled "So That for Relationships" by Jennifer Anderson Smith. Jennifer, my gosh, what a pleasure to speak with you! What a learning opportunity for for myself and for so many women, and really for all of our listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Irene. Thank you. And listeners, thank you again for tuning in today. And to be sure that you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe to our Mind Your Mind Speaks podcast. Also, we ask that you leave us a review on Apple. Until next time, remember there is no health without mental health. Please mind your mind and keep an eye on the loved ones in your lives.